Hi, you're listening to Conversations with a and I'm Alicia. I'm a 40-year-old that has battled menstrual issues most of my life and recently had surgery to remove a large fibroid. I like to say I'm an ever-changing person who has a number of different careers, and what impassions me most is helping other people each day through connection and conversation. I'm very interested in moon cycles and how it affects our lives and learning how to release and manifest. I'm Jessica. I'm the J of A and J. I am a 38-year-old endo warrior. For those of you who don't know what that means, I have endometriosis. I also am a hypothyroidism warrior. I'm a former osteomate. And sometimes I like to take out my tarot cards. And that's my choice of channeling my spirits and guides. And I feel that that has helped me ground myself through some pretty tragic health issues I've had in the past couple of years. I myself also am a woman of many different careers and most recently landed myself in what I like to call my dream career. I am an education manager and a dance director at a performing arts school. So you're probably wondering who we are and how we know each other. And I think we should talk about that. What do you think about? I think so. I think we should talk about frosting. Ooh, frosting. Oh, back in the day. <laughs> Bet you're wondering what me, Alicia, and frosting all have to do. It's the no foundation of enough. our friendship. <laughs> Cupcakes are where it all began on so many different levels. <laughs> um, I believe it was your best friend's wedding. Yes. That we were both, well, you were in and I was a guest at. And I don't know how I wormed my way into like the bridal party <laughs> because Jess is always the first person to offer to do everything because she knows how to do everything and will help everybody even if she doesn't know a single other person there and we had been acquainted but we really didn't have like in-depth conversations at that point I wouldn't have considered you a friend I definitely knew your name and liked when you were around we had mutual friends, liked when you were around, but not necessarily like, she's going to be one of my closest friends in my whole life, you know, because I didn't know. I didn't know that we were destined to go pick up cupcakes two hours away, you know? Well, so the day happened. before the wedding, there was this whole like, the plan was we were going to decorate cupcakes the day before the wedding. And then there was the realization that the frosting was forgotten at at what's oh my gosh what's her name i just forgot aunt betty aunt betty pretty sad that i've known her my whole life and i just blanked on that but aunt betty lived like an hour and a half away wasn't it it was in red wing yeah yeah mm -hmm. i think that's an hour and a half away from where we were and they were like we have to go get that frosting and jess and i were both like can we just go like buy the ingredients again like i'll pay for it you know right, and industrial like KitchenAid mixer I was yeah. like we can whip it up like, right. two minutes. like they were so adamant because they had spent all this money already on this frosting and I was like well fine like let's stop talking about it and let's just go and then I realized I didn't have my car there because I was hopping in everybody else's car to decorate and like rehearsals and whatever was going on yep. and just volunteered she's like here take my car I'll go with you and that's what started it. We went an hour and a half in a car, virtual strangers. 
and Jess doesn't know how to keep her mouth shut, luckily, because she's extroverted. I'm introverted. I would have been just fine listening to the radio the whole way there. And we like got to talking. We would jam out sometimes. Um, we got to Aunt Betty's and Jess, tell her, her your favorite part of the story when she was showing us the fasting. So, well, first of all, they also told us not only that they had spent the money, but it was like a special family recipe of said frosting. Yeah. And so we're getting there and Aunt Betty's like, oh, you're here for the frosting? Oh, great. Well, you know, if you run out, they, this, is, this is the same frosting we make at Econo Foods right down the road <laughs> from the Literally a block and a half from the venue. And I was like, and I looked at, I looked at you and I was like, you've got to be kidding. And then she was, oh, oh, here, good. You can take these penophores. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It was just like a little brownie treat. And she's like, make sure you pipe little ends on them. And ends was the, you know, the first initial of the last name of our mutual friends. And we were like, yeah, when we have time, because now we have to drive back almost two hours to bring this frosting. <laughs> um, Nobody cares about the ends, Aunt Betty. Nope, nobody cares. But that woman did because we never got to the ends and we're at the reception. And to mind you, just so everybody knows, if you could paint the picture, this is in like an old kind of like church that kind of looked like it had a theater or, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was weird. an old theater. That right. They... right. And yeah. so you were on the stage and now you're my new best friend. And my table was like up in a balcony and I was like taking pictures of you on my cell phone from the balcony being like, what's she doing? Cause I like didn't know anybody else at the said wedding. Um, we found each other down by the bar and all of a sudden we hear Aunt Betty go, those girls never put the ends on that. And we were both like, <laughs> and we were like, retreat, retreat. Don't go say hi to Aunt Betty because we didn't want her to see us and be mad at us for not putting the ends on the pedophores or whatever they're called. And then we, were, we took a picture of where both of us look like ghosts in the bathroom yeah the whitest the whitest reflection ever yeah it was their souls glowing through that's what it was it was like these two <laughs> bitches need each other we'll get illuminate them so that they know we were glowing <laughs> yeah. i'll have to find that picture somewhere and post it Sorry, probably have an explicit e after our podcast because <laughs> i might drop explicit words sometimes we'll mm. do that so so i had to drink a drink of water that's how we met you guys. And I, we, that was how many years ago? That was, it's going to be eight years. Eight years. I yeah. think so. I think it's their eight year no, anniversary or seven. No. no it, are you sure? Yeah. I didn't meet you when I was 30. I mean, we could go through the whole rigmarole, but Heather was, I think I was 33. So that was seven years ago. Because I think they got married in 2013. Okay. I think they met in 2012. All right. That makes sense. It all seems like such a blur. Because I think they've been together eight years and it'll be their seven year anniversary in like a week. Well, 2020 has lasted 16 years. So. <laughs> I know I've aged. Who hasn't? A little bit. Um, why don't we talk about then? Now we know, you know who we are and how we know each other. Let's talk about, I think our um, people who will listen to us will probably want to know like why we're doing this podcast together. Yeah. So we each have had very different yet really similar journeys in discovering who we are, what we want from our lives and 
while also struggling to find people who would truly hear us and listen to our concerns and needs. Um, so this turned us into, a, like, we were forced into the role of advocating for ourselves when it came to our health and our lives. So we feel like this podcast is for the person out there that is sick of settling for where they are. They are sick of being told they were wrong for how they feel about their bodies or any other areas of their life. Uh, Jess and I are here to empower you to listen to unknown commonalities that are all around us, become your own advocate and step into your life with a connection to your inner self and be able to boldly step into your life. Yes, exactly. I think we want people and I mean, men might find our podcast. I feel like it's probably going to be a little more uh, female oriented or um, people who identify as females, you know, them, days, he, she's, we are welcoming everybody, but I just want, we, I guess our main message is to let you know that you're not alone. And I think one of the things that brought us closer these last seven to eight years is that, um, is these journeys of, like you said, finding ourselves as women, I think as women go through the, their thirties, them like that kind of decade in their life is a really big year of self discovery. Um, I don't think it happens in people's twenties, but I think like finding ourselves personally, but I, a big part of this, a big chunk, we're going to kind of probably always reference back to, or be a hot topic for us is going to be our health mm -hmm. and our health and how it was, um, processed or taken care of medically or right. lack there. Um, we, we both really felt like our health was a battle mm -hmm. because we struggled with finding doctors that would truly listen to us. And it's enraging because we shouldn't have to convince a doctor that what we're going through isn't normal. Um, you know, we both struggled, have struggled with weight issues. We both have struggled with menstrual issues. And we were both kind of just brushed off. I mean, I don't know how many doctors told me that some people just have it bad and you just have it bad, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, finally in the last year and a half, we kept saying there has to be more out there. And I know how I found who I found to finally help me was I talked to everybody. Pretty much everyone knows about all of my menstrual issues because the reason I was so vocal about it was. I was learning, I wasn't alone. So I was liking the fact that like, there's somebody else that has this pain. So it's not normal. Like I'm not like alone in this situation, but who have you seen? Did you get help? And that's literally how I found my help. And I know your journey was a little different in that sense, but you and I have always been probably disclosing way too much about our health issues. And I think part of that was wanting to hear other people's answers so that we could maybe find what worked for us. Well, I think that's a big thing. I think word of mouth or is, I've worked in the medical field and the dental field actually. So, you know, the best referral ever is that of a patient um, that you've helped, right? So, or that it trusts you with their care. Um, and I know for me, you and I had talked a lot about your menstrual stuff, but my stuff was always about my poop. Right. Like I could not stop talking about poop. I was like a three-year-old, like my poop. <laughs> and I was convinced that it was GI, so gastro, you know, in, in, inside me, in my bowels, that that was the issue. And 
it had, it took me seven years. Exactly. I guess this does make sense now because when we first met is when I was like, things were starting to get bad. Right. right. Um, for me. And, um, it's interesting, like you said, like the best way that we could find or navigate our way to the doctors that we feel trust that hear us, right, mm -hmm. is from that, from talking about it. And I have been through a couple of things, and we'll talk about that later, that have led me to these other groups where now I can be a voice of, of advocacy for other people, um, specifically in the endometriosis community, because as women, a lot of us with this female-oriented issue of endometriosis don't experience heavy menstrual cycles or things like that, which is a typical red flag or a, an alert to endometriosis. Most of us um, in the community will experience GI related issues. And we, that's why it takes seven years to get on average to get diagnosed for, for endo. And that was my journey, right? Like seven years of pain. I think the other thing that's interesting that you said is like, we will talk about it with people. And this is a good thing I wanted to talk to you about is how many women, and it can be other people too, because I know that, you know, men have other issues as well. So I don't want to be like that person like, oh, that podcast is just for, you know, but right. this is, this is what we're, we're talking about our journeys here and our conversations. And for me, it was that dismissive, like you said, they were like, it's, not, it's only bad right? Like, mm -hmm. so talk to me. I want to know a little bit more because you and I had talked about this. Um, for those of you that don't know, Elise was also in my wedding most recently last November. And this poor girl put on a brave face and she was um, dealing with a lot of the things that she's been dealing with, but it was like a never ending period, right? Like, yeah. like days of hell for days on end. Talk yeah. about it. My yeah. periods typically went from the length of my period was typically seven to 21 days. And my cycles were about 24 to 30, depending on the break that I would get. Um, so that's like 21 days of bleeding. That's, you know, 11 days of bleeding. Um, and it was always really heavy. And so you just learn to always be worried about it. So like, you're always wearing black because you, you just can't even worry about that. Um, but you have to be prepared. So it's like you buy the biggest box of tampons that you can buy, the biggest box of pads, like you have to double up. And it's, it's an hourly obsession. Like where I'm going, will there be a bathroom? That's like always my first thought. Like um, what's the seating arrangement? I mean, even like I got a car last fall and there was one car I really loved, but it had like a really light cream leather seats. And I said, I can't, like, I will ruin it the first month. Like, so it like affected everything because it was my obsession. My obsession right. became, how do I not embarrass myself in public? You know, mm -hmm. and it was, it controlled my social life. I was canceling plans, you know, like if I was able to, I was, I would cancel plans. Of course, for your wedding, that was like not going to happen. But I did come a day later because it was like so severe one day, you know, and it's just, you, you, you have to keep living because you're told that this is just how life's going to be. And right. it wasn't until it wasn't that way that I realized, like I was barely getting by. My hemoglobin was still low. Like, how was I functioning? And I think there's that fear of, you don't know the other way. So you just have to keep going, you know?
And so it wasn't easy. And it's truly, I was obsessed with it because I had to be. Right. So if you had, you know, this is a question I thought I'd ask you just now. So I didn't think of this before, but if, you know, say you had like two or three cycles that were those 21 days, right. And you were like, Oh God, here goes again. Cause you've had like what, three or four days off if that, mm-hmm. and then, you know, miraculously that 11 day or that good period came, did you have feelings of, is it really that bad? Like, was it really that bad before? Like, did you ever have that like mental, like teeter totter or like internal conversation of like, is it really that bad? Like mine, not really, not in that sense. My the conversation I internally had was, why am I so lucky this month? Why, like, why was it only eleven days? You know, like mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't that teeter tot like you're explaining. It was more like, thank God because I can't take anymore. Like I just right. need a break, and it mm-hmm. was usually in that sense of like, I'm just grateful. And I'm also leery because sometimes it would stop for 24 hours and then like come back like a vengeance. And so there was also that like, okay, but don't celebrate too quickly. Cause as soon as you do, you know, like I'm the only person I know that keeps tampons in her trunk of her car and her glove compartment box. And in every single purse I own, like you can go into my closet and grab any purse. And I guarantee they're still like, necessities. I was always buying stuff because you just never knew where you were going to be. And I knew it'd get used. So it wasn't a waste, you know? How would, like, I know that when I have my period, I don't like to wear dresses, right? Like I'd rather be in a dark pair of pants. Um, and I don't wear skirts when I have my period. So bringing it back to my wedding, how did you, were you nervous? Were you scared to be in a dress for that prolonged amount of time? knowing kind of what your body was going through at that time? No, because by the time your wedding came, I had been battling this for five years. So although things happened, um, I'm more comfortable in dresses. So that never really like was an issue um, for me on when I was menstruating. But the thing is, all about being prepared you know like I don't know if you remember but I did run like we got to your venue and before I did my hair and makeup and your makeup I ran to the store real quick because I realized I forgot two things I forgot my curling iron and my bag of supplies that I would need for the day and it was like like I, I could probably borrow a curling iron from somebody but I can't borrow that multitude and you had supplies there for people but it wasn't it wasn't gonna suffice it you know So it's just, by the time your wedding came around, I was just all about like getting through to the next 45 minutes. Cause that's when I was like, that's when it was getting really bad. And I was having to go to the bathroom every 45 minutes to take care of things, you know, and luckily you had that bathroom right there. So really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's an interesting thing that people need to know too, is that um, if you speak with an OBGYN or someone who is specializing this and learning, so I want to put an asterisk here um, when we talk about this stuff and we're going to spend, we'll probably do some specialized podcasts, invite some people on here with us to chat with us and have conversations, but a doctor never stops learning because medicine is a practice. And one of the best things a doctor can ever tell you is I don't know, we're going to find out, or I'm going to help you find someone that can help us. Right? So when, when OBGYNs, are very quick to um, 
I would say dismiss things that you were bringing up as concerns. I saw this and I saw this on my endometriosis board. You need to request that they write that in your medical chart, that they're not going to do diagnostic testing, that they don't believe anything's wrong with you. Because when you ask them to request that, that is them not trying to help you. That is them notating in your chart that they are abandoning their Hippocratic oath, right? Like, cause their job is to help you. You're their patient. They've accepted you as their patient. Their job is to work, to work, to work, to learn, to research and to help us figure things out. So when you feel that you're hitting that, that brick wall or that it's just this, you have to live with it. You ask them to put that in your chart and then you fire them because the doctors work for you. And so when you say that, you know, you had said, doctor said, it's just probably going to be this way right? Mm -hmm. Like women do not have to do that. So back to my original point, cause I got off track there for a second. Okay. Uh, OBGYNs right now are learning about that. They're realizing mm -hmm. many of them are spreading the knowledge that periods are not supposed to be doubled over in pain with an uncontrollable amounts of ibuprofen and Tylenol and Midol and hot baths and hot water bottles and heating pads. And we're not supposed to feel these huge swings, right? There's a, there's a many different factors that contribute to that, mm -hmm. um, but we're not supposed to, and we're not going to, um, and what this is probably a whole other topic one day is throw birth control at people. Right. Because birth control is the number one thing that a regular primary care, so your primary physician or your, your general practitioner, your GP, or even your general OBJON is going to tell you, we're going to try this to see if that helps. So if you're already having a hormone imbalance within your body, which is causing all of these things, which can cause the heavy flows, can cause the painful cramping, blood clots are not normal. Like they're trying to give you more hormones to treat that. And it's basically like pouring gasoline on a fire. Right. Right. So there, it, we, we, we want to watch out those kind of things. So one of the things that I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on you because I like to find out all the things, right. Uh, um, you had shared with me that you had a procedure you found through this referral, you know, talking to people and, and finding someone that finally listened to you. Um, you found a doctor that agreed to do a procedure on you. So you can, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about what your procedure was and what they found? Yeah. So um, in the past, I had asked doctors if we could do a ultrasound first off, just to see, because uh, uterine fibroids does run in my family. And I know that my cousin has the genetic marker codes for it. And so my thought process was, although I haven't had genetic testing, there is a huge possibility because everybody in my life had had that issue in my, in all the female in my life. And so um, most doctors refused. And then, you know, my dear friend, Holly, who will always be on my Christmas card list now, um, referred me to this doctor and I called them. And all I said was, I have really bad periods and I need to talk to somebody about it. And she, before I could even ask, like, can we do a test? She's like, all right, well, before you see the doctor, we're going to do an ultrasound on you. And then you'll see the doctor and you guys can go over the results together. And that had literally for two and a half years, that's what I was asking for. And I was refused every time. And um, I remember getting off the phone that day and crying because this poor little appointment lady was the first person to like listen to me and validate that like, hey, let's just check. Mm -hmm. what if everything's clear but what if it's not you know and then when I saw my doctor and they verified that I did have a um a large fibroid 
that needed to be removed and that was most likely what was causing most of my issues. Um, again, I cried because that was the first medical professional with a license who said, you were right. Like there was something wrong with you and you have probably had this for years, you know? And I remember like getting to my car and just crying, you know, because like I wasn't crazy for the first time. Like it wasn't just your life's going to suck until you menopause because that's just your slot in life, you know? And so they, um, it was a little weird. They normally would have probably done my procedure within a month. But because of COVID, there was no surgeries taking place. So they put me on the list and told me they would call me as soon as the state of Minnesota was open for surgeries. And so once that happened... I was going to say, they called them elective surgeries, like we were going to get lipo or some lips and boobs put in, but that was not what we were electing to do. So I just like to say that. That was their, that was their lovely... Uh, That's insurance uh, dragon. That's insurance jargon. Um, but uh, so they scheduled me for a hysteroscopy with a DNC. And so I had that, they called me and I had that scheduled like four weeks out from the day that they called me. And um, even just scheduling it, I remember feeling like excitement and like hope, like, okay, possibly my world's about to change. Maybe what I think is normal isn't gonna be my normal anymore and I just remember for the first time feeling like pure hope like I'm right where I'm supposed to be I found the person who's listening to me and you know we had had a conversation and she did say there could be other things but this is the most important one right now and so we're doing another evaluation six months after my procedure to see if there's anything else that I need help with you know and just she didn't, she didn't shut the door, you know, and that was like such a huge relief to me to like feel like, okay, we, there is something and here's the plan and here's how successful I've been with this plan and here's what you can expect after we do this, you know, and I know you had a similar thing where you were just like, see, I'm not crazy, you know, and when you finally like are allowed to have that light bulb moment of like, I knew it all along. It does something to you, right? Well, it, right. It validates you, right? Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this. It's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because this is kind of getting philosophical, right? Women bring life, right? So we, there, many people will say, I remember the moment I got pregnant because they feel it mm -hmm. in their body, like their body. They are so in tune to everything working in their body that they will know right? Like they know something is off because we're just so used to everyday feelings in our body, right? And it's so funny because we talk about trying to become comfortable in our body. And when we know that something isn't right, but we go to a professional and say, this is how I'm feeling and they can discredit it or ignore it, right? We feel like we have to believe them. And then we question ourselves, like we're in it, right? But if a man goes in and goes, hey, I'm having this pain here, they are, they are scanned that day or their scan is scheduled that day. Like it's, it is completely different. And I say this only from my, A, my own experience, but B, validating this experience with a conversation with my primary care doctor who has been, my new primary care doctor, I should say, 
who has been wonderful through this. And she said she experienced the same thing, right? When she had had a C-section and things weren't healing the right way and people weren't listening to her. So I want, again, we were talking about this and we talked about it, uh, Alicia talked about it when she said, why, why we're doing this podcast is we want people to know that you're not alone. And we want you to find your voice when you're advocating for your health, because my issues probably started when I was a young child. It's always been GI related. Um, endometriosis goes hand in hand with hypothyroidism. And I was born with the upper right quadrant of my thyroid. It looks like a butterfly. So think about the top right wing of a butterfly gone. So I have had a, a, a compromised thyroid my whole life, right? And that will create um, autoimmune or immunosuppressed issues within the body, which can lead to endometriosis. Um, I didn't have bad periods, right? You're talking about 21 days. I'm like, whoo, three days. I bled for three days. It was like, whoo, whoo. What I didn't realize is that my cycle or my symptoms were three weeks worth of symptoms. And I had one week a month or within that cycle that I felt like a normal human being. And three months out of four, or th excuse me, three weeks out of four were actual hell. And by hell, I mean either extreme constipation, mm -hmm. horrible bloating, like looking six to nine months pregnant after eating any sort of meal, food sensitivities, irritability, not being able to sleep. Um, then it, it switched, right? And then it started to become diarrhea. Like it would be like the seesaw of like, I don't know what it is, but I knew something was wrong in my gut. And um, it took seven years for me to get a diagnosis. I didn't know. I knew about endometriosis because my aunt had it and her daughter had it. And um, it explained a lot of things for her, but, and she didn't get diagnosed until her, her late thirties either. And so I didn't pay it any mind in my twenties, right? Like mm -hmm. it, well, I was, I was, a, I was lucky. Every, I, everyone would be like, Oh, I'm here. And I'm like day six. I'm like, sweetie. <laughs> right. Like everything's fine. I was a bitch for three weeks, but you know, <laughs> sucked for three weeks, but you know, three days. Um, and, uh, my grandmother at late seventies, or I should say early seventies was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. She didn't go to the gynecologist. She, the last time she saw an OBGYN was probably when she delivered her fourth baby. And she was riddled with, um, polyps in her colon, um, after, after her diagnosis with the ovarian cancer, as well as endometriosis. So, and it's hereditary. So I'm just the genetic, you know, lucky one who got it. Um, and it's been seven years of different diagnoses. And so if I talk about every single year, you're going to get bored, right? But the big change for me was right, right around when, when I met you, or just after, I should say. It was probably a couple of years after when things started to get pretty bad. And I went um, through a period of extreme constipation and I ended up getting a bowel obstruction mm -hmm. and no one was listening to me. I went to a doctor. Now you have to understand everyone, listeners, I lived in Madison, Wisconsin. It is one of the top notch areas. There are three major healthcare like conglomerates, like huge mega names, right? Um, in, in, in the area, one of them being the UW. So at the time I was in the UW health system and no shade to them because there's amazing people in it. But I saw this one physician, he was a primary care doctor. And he said, you're fine. You just need to drink some Miralax every day and maybe some Lisa Lebeau tea. That's what I give my constipated um, cancer patients. I was also working for a sports medicine doctor. 
And I had just gotten back from a dance weekend with my dance company. And I was like, Dr. Adams, I just can't, like, I can't eat anything. My stomach is just hurting so bad. I can't, I'm not even pooping like rabbit nuggets. Like he was like, do you need to tell me that? I was like, look, I talk about my poop all the time. Right. Cause I told you, you might've overshared about your menses. I overshare about my poopsies. <laughs> and, um, so he said, let's do an x-ray. And so he slapped me on the x-ray table and Mandy took my x-ray and he's looking at it. And in true doctor form, you know, they're like, hmm. Oh, hmm. And you're like, these sounds aren't good. Like, as I'm like getting back <laughs> and he's like, are you in pain? And I was like, we talked about this. Yes. He's like, come look at this. The obstruction was so big, like that you could see where my bowel was just packed full of everything. Right. And so he's like, I'm sending you to the digestive health center. So to make this story very short, because it can get very long, I ended up having a colonoscopy at age 31. Okay. Normal women, have their, or even people, I would say even men, have their, their colonoscopies at age 50, okay? In this, I ended up having to do a different kind of prep, which lasted almost two weeks, which was awful. And colonoscopy preps are awful anyway. They found three precancerous polyps, one of them being over 10 millimeters. So my first response was, okay, so it's precancerous, it's not bad, this is really typical, a lot of people have polyps, right? And they said, yes. My next question was, how big would those polyps have been if I didn't get a colonoscopy till I was 50? Right. right? Like, where would this have gone? Would I have full-blown colorectal cancer? Then my third question was, is this what caused me to be constipated? And I, and they said, no, no, this can't be what, you know, like blah, blah, blah. We'll see you in five years. And that's where they left it. So I ended up going for a follow-up appointment to that procedure, um, after getting that really cool phone call that I had precancerous polyps, which means I don't get to wait until I'm 50 to have my next colonoscopy. I've had them five years. Um, and I said, you know, I'm still experiencing a lot of pain. Their excuse was, you're just stressed out from the obstruction. Like you have to let your colon relax. And I was like, oh, okay. And so in my head, I never thought anything was wrong, right? Like it, I, it was because I was eating poorly, which was true. It was because I'm obese. That's not true. It's, be, you know, all of these things. And it wasn't until January of 2019 for me that things really started to go downhill. Like this, I'm telling you, I, I worked with pain. I danced with pain. You and I both have had multiple jobs all at the same time. And we didn't, we didn't let the pain stop us from doing those things, right? right? Like we sat at our desk and we helped our patients or our customers. And we, you know, you were, you did esthetician for a while. You stood and did, yeah. you know, services on your clients. And I taught dance like nothing was wrong. And in this body, I was in so much pain. Right. And, um, I, it was, it was new year's day of 2019 and I woke up and I had some, we had some breakfast and I instantly was on the floor, doubled over. Like I had the worst pain all through my like all, it was like a gas bubble, but not in my lower intestines, not in my upper. It was like radiating down my right side. I couldn't take it anymore. And it lasted two and a half hours. This is what I would call my attacks or my flares. That's what I came to call them. And my, um, well, she was my fiance at the time, but my, my wife was like, hey, you know, are, do I need to take you to the hospital? And I was like, no, girl, I'm good. And then it went away. I drank some tea and then I just felt really depleted of energy. And I went about my day still not understanding this attack. And so this went on for months and then came this chronic, like as soon as I ate diarrhea and then the constant feeling of having to poop, but not emptying like that. There's nothing worse than that. So it wasn't constipation. It was like a little bit would come out, but you wouldn't feel relief. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So the doctor, I was working at a dental office at that time that I worked for said, go to urgent care. And I did. And this is the first time, or this was, I shouldn't say the first time. This was just another repeat time where I had to explain to someone that I was not pregnant and there was no chance that I was pregnant, right? They're like, are you sure? Like, this sounds like just like gas came from pregnancy. And I was like, first of all, I am a lesbian. Second of all, we are not trying for a child. And I have never cheated on my wife with a male because I don't like men. So like, I don't know what part of this you don't need to understand. I was asked by four different people in the same day of treatment if I was sure I was not pregnant because of this. And then, um, so I had, I went through like this string of tests, right? X-rays, uh, ultrasounds, kind of like what you said. I had that transvaginal ultrasounds like to see if there was anything going on, nothing. They literally told me, you are fine. And I said, this is not, I am, I am eating at this point now in time, vegetable broth and soggy Ritz crackers. That was my diet because I couldn't eat food. Like it was just not working. And so I ended up going and getting, they put me in touch with, you know, um, the digestive health again. And they set me up with a doctor who did an endoscopy. Okay. Cause they thought, oh, it could be celiac. It could be, uh, you have ulcers or a hernia in there, nothing. He then tells me that I have sphincter of ODI dysfunction where my sphincter, your body has 21 of them. So it's not my butthole. Um, the, <laughs> the opening from your pancreas to your lower intestine or your small intestines is spasming and I need to cut it. And I was like, well, how do you know? Cause at this point I've had height of scan, for my gallbladder, CT scan, all of these things. I'm sorry, not your, your um, pancreas. It was your gallbladder to your small intestines because he thought I had like gallstones or something. And all of this is happening and I'm like still in pain. And then all of a sudden I didn't have an attack for like a month. And I was like, mm, is this because I'm like getting close to that? Cause I had scheduled that surgery and, and my body is going, no girl, you're fine. Don't do this surgery, right? So I ended up taking a new job and I call and I cancel the surgery. I said, I just don't think it's sphincter of ODI dysfunction. I've been taking, I ended up started taking a, a supplement called lecithin, which was for gallbladder health because I ate a low fat diet, but you need fat in your diet to lubricate your intestines. Just so everybody knows, stop not eating fat. Your body needs it to lubricate it all. <laughs> um, and I ended up getting a new job and I moved to Illinois. And then my nightmare started in January of this year where mm. I, it was a nightmare, but also like a dream come true because I had an OBGYN listen to everything, look at all of these GI workups that I've had. And he said, I think you have endometriosis and you know that it can grow on your bowels, right? So listeners, if you don't know what it is, what your body grows inside your uterus during your cycle is called the endometrioma, right? And then you shed that lining during your period. So what happens when you have endometriosis is that material grows outside of the uterus on other female organs or other organs in your body. And then it tries to shed itself, but it can't. And so you just have constant pain because it's itself to all these other organs, which then can attach organs into masses together. It's a horrible nightmare. Um, so the only way that we could diagnose it was a procedure called a diagnostic laparoscopy where they go in through three little incisions with some cameras, blow your belly up and look. So I went to sleep on January 23rd and I woke up and he told me you have stage four endometriosis. It's everywhere. And you actually have a mass of your right ovary, right fallopian tube, your bladder and your bowel. And that would 
explain to me why you have had so much trouble with your bowel. Your colon is attached here. I tried to remove it. I can't do it with um, a laparoscopic procedure. You're going to need to come in for something else. And I said, okay. And he sent me home same day with a prescription for, you know, uh, hydrocodone five and said, take it. And I said, you know, I don't take pain medicine. I'm just going to alternate between Tylenol and ibuprofen. And I am like, three times the size I normally am when I leave the hospital and I don't feel right. And something's not right. I can't sleep. I can't pass gas. He's like, you need to walk around so that you fart. Cause you've got to get this gas that we've pumped into your stomach and your abdomen out. And I went to the ER the next day and my white blood cell count was up to 42. They just, after six hours in the ER, I was dismissed by the first doctor who said, you're just constipated because of your pain meds. I had never take, I took one because I had called the surgeon and he said, take one. If it doesn't relieve your pain in an hour, you need to come in right away and I'll see you. I'm on call this weekend, six hours. They never brought my surgeon into the room with me. They finally admitted me into a room, kept me there for three days. He said, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you, you can sometimes have this kind of reaction. Your body's not used to having surgery. And I said, well, what would make my white blood cell count spike like that? And he said, I don't know. So they sent me home on a Sunday and a week later, I had nothing but blood in my stools on a Saturday morning. And I went back to the ER and we had discovered that there was a baseball approaching softball size abscess in my abdomen and I needed to get it drained right away. And basically what had happened is when he was trying to remove the, end, the bowel from the mass of created by endometriosis, he perforated my bowel. And um, for three days after I had been admitted again, they let me get sicker and sicker. And all of the pathology came back and said it was gut bacteria that was inside the abscess. And I kept asking the question, is there a hole in my bowel? And they said, no, every time. And then I went into surgery. So actually the OBGYN came in and said, I'm going to give you a C-section incision and we're going to clean out that abscess. Do you want me to take care of your rest of your endometriosis? And already I'm like, boop, 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 you did it the first time. I don't want you messing around with my insides when I'm sick, right? So I asked him what he would do if I was his wife and he said, take care of the infection first. So I said, let's do that. And I shook his hand and I went to sleep and I woke up probably 10 hours later with a midline incision from like my sternum to my pubic bone um, staples, 58 staples, two JP drains that were draining the infection, infected fluid out of my stomach and a temporary colostomy bag. But good news guys, it wasn't all in my head. It was endometriosis <laughs> that caused all of this. So fast forward, I have a nightmare. That's a whole other story. That's a day we talk about colostomies of dealing with it and stomas. And then I got reversed. So the day I got reversed, my I picked a new surgeon to put me back together to connect my bowels back. And that doctor um, brought in a new OBGYN and confirmed that I had endometriosis on every single reproductive organ that I have, as well as more on my bowel, more on my bladder, on my uterus. And um, that it's probably going to be a while before I, I mean, I have side effects from it because my body just went through such big trauma. So right now I'm quote unquote endo pain free. I'll knock on wood because that is crazy pain, but um, there's a chance that it could come back, but I have to heal from all of this other stuff first. So there was this moment in January where I was like, I knew it wasn't in my head. Like, and then for them to confirm again, that it was everywhere. Like women are suffering one in 10 women 
have this. We talked about this because I had said to you, do you think you could have this? Like, you know, a lot of these PCOS and endo, a lot of these things go hand in hand when, when we have these diagnoses and no one listens to women when it comes to our pain. And I had a male nurse who took care of me um, during both of my surgeries, funny enough. And when I woke up, I had an epidural, so I shouldn't have had pain because I was supposed to be numb for three to four days with this constant um, bupivacaine and uh, morphine in my back. And I woke up with pain and he said, I've never, he's like, you never asked for, you've never asked for pain medicine and to watch you cry and beg for it. And so then he, he said, there's a note in my chart now that says when she says that her pain is at a five, you need to rate that on a normal scale of an eight or a nine, Mm. like, because five for her is functional, right? But that's really someone else's eight or nine. Because you were living with it. Yeah. Pain was your normal life, you know? Mm -hmm. So you can't, those numbers are so like inadequate, you know, with the little smiley faces and whatever underneath it, showing the description, Mm -hmm. like, like. It's so hard. And I know like as your friend, I knew something had to change in January because although we had like cried together and we had had like real conversations about our health, you've never said the words, I'm really scared. Mm -hmm. And I remember in January you did. And it was so, so interesting how the universe works. And you know, we're going to dive into that too, because you and I are both very much into understanding energies in the universe and like angels all around us. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't get you out of my head one day. And I don't know if you remember this, but mm-hmm. um, I sent you just like this meditative like prayer. Mm-hmm. I just typed it up and sent it to you on your phone. And that was when you said, I'm so glad you sent this to me. I'm so scared. And that's the thing, like you reached, you reached your boiling point mm-hmm. and you had to get the help that you had to do. And it was awful. You know, I can't even imagine, you know, your wife, Lisa, during that time, I got closer to her in January because I know what it's like to take care of a loved one that's ill. And so I didn't want her to think that she was forgotten amongst, amongst the myths either, mm-hmm. but it's scary. And so that's why I think our podcast is going to be such an interesting conversation because that's all we want. We want to have conversations with whatever struggles people have been having, because that's how you become empowered to take that next step. That's how like you learn, you know, it wasn't, it's interesting that this happened to both you and I in 2020 where it reached our boiling point and something had to change and we were able to change it. And so far it's been, best case scenario, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, And so I'm interested, we're going to dive into like all these different aspects. And, you know, that's how I say it a lot. And if you ask my day coworkers, I say it to everybody all the time. And they quote me, it's hilarious, but you have to be your own advocate. Mm -hmm. And that is the best way that I learned you have to be your own advocate was actually taking care of my sick aunt. And she couldn't take care of herself, so I had to advocate for her. And then I learned through taking care of her that I have to advocate for myself. And that's when I started going to a different doctor every year for my pap. And you don't have to get a pap every year now, but 
I went every year and I went to a different doctor every year and I read review. I'm like, I was that nerd online reading reviews of gynecologists, of general practitioners that specialize in women's health. Who should I go to, you know, because like I had to be my advocate and this, we're going to give people a voice that they didn't know that they needed because they were just settling for what they heard. And we don't have to accept that anymore. We don't. And I, and I totally agree with you. And one of the things that you touched on just a minute ago was every year, how many, when we were growing up in, in teenagers, especially when, right when we hit puberty, it was drilled into us that you get your pap smear every year, you can go and get checked when in the world. And again, we told, we said this would be a whole other topic or conversation or topic of conversation for us is the insurance industry. When did it become okay for it, for our, our um, past years to only be every three years or every five years? When did women's health mm-hmm. get told that we could be put off for that long span of time when our bodies are constantly changing, especially as we're in this 30s, 40s, and even 50s, right? Because menopause is being pushed back, right? Mm-hmm. Women um, in earlier times re- went through menopause at an earlier age. I would say it would start at the late 40s, early 50s, and it is getting pushed back. It's not early 50s into 60s anymore people are going late 50s early 60s before they hit that that's again we're gonna i want to read some studies on that with what we're eating with the hormones and the food that we have all of that kind of stuff um which is changing our body dynamics Mm -hmm. and pushing that kind of life event further down the line right um but when when did it become okay for women women's health to just be kind of pushed into these larger increments and then that's what it ha- what happens where we get to these like that boiling point like you said like i physically and mentally couldn't do it anymore and then these tragic things happen so one of the things i keep hearing everyone say about covid and everything is you know the year is 2020 so maybe when we look back on this year we are going to say hindsight is 2020 like maybe that's why you and i went through this maybe this mm-hmm. you know when we'll touch on this again in another conversation about why it kind of happened with us together. Like, you know, like that's why our angels and guides brought us together because we were going to be walking these similar paths and, and have, have passion for helping other people because you're right. You've, you've cared for a sick, a sick loved one. I, I have not personally, my grandmother wouldn't let me take care of her. She forced me back on a plane to Wisconsin when I went home to take care of her. Um, She wanted nothing of that for me. And so I lucked out on that, but I know how serious it is to watch these things happen and how easy it is for us to get lost in the, in the, in the health like cycle of things mm-hmm. like, you know, and it's so hard, you, you know, you see your primary care doctor, they can't do everything for you. They right. have to do a specialist. And then it's almost like you're starting all over again. Um, but we don't want you to give up. We want you to find that person that will listen to you. And we don't want you to just be listened to. We want you to be heard. There's a right. very big, right? We both have experienced that. We had light bulb moments when we found the providers that heard us. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's probably a good, I, I want to know if you could pick um, the best little advice, like a best little advice nugget to give to anybody who's looking for a podcast right now, what would be the advice or the reason why they should choose our podcast to listen to us? Um, The little snippet I would give is that um, we'll hear you. You know, we're going to open up an email 
and we're gonna we want to open up conversations with even people who listen so you don't have to be an expert because you're an expert in your life so we want to learn from you and grow from you and so if you want to be heard um i think this is the podcast for you because it's not just going to be jess and i here yapping our mouths to each other because trust me we could do this for like eight hours and we've done it um but what we want is to be heard because we know how life-changing being heard can be and if you can be heard then you can help somebody else who needs to hear you you know like not just so that you can get to that next step but also so they can get to that next step because it's all about this human connection that we're having and i think that's really what our podcast is going to bring like allowing people to be heard. Perfect. I know that you've helped me be heard. I know that you've helped other people. I am working on and hopefully helping other people be heard through, you know, involvement. I've tried to put myself in colostomy groups as well as reversal groups as endometriosis groups, because I feel that the knowledge that I've, I have, and even that you have is that we want to share it because we don't want other people to have to have the seven year waiting period, right? Mm-hmm. If we, could, if we could knock off a month of uncertainty for you, maybe that's what we do. And if we don't knock any time off of your path or your journey for that, at least, you know, you have an ear that wants to hear your story. So, um, next, next time we get together, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about each of our diagnosis a little bit more. I think we should share a little bit more of that because I think the more onion layers we peel about ourselves to other people, it might open the door for other people to, to reach out to us. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm our goal. I'm going to set a goal for us that the next time we do, or you hear our podcast, we will have our email set up for you. And that's going to be something that you can re- you know, reach out to us for, even if it's just to, Hey guys, we really liked your content. Thank you so much. Or do you have this, you know, um, or this, you should talk about this, right? Like we want to hear from you. We want you to know that we're here to listen and that it's just two friends that met randomly over frosting and we still enjoy frosting. (laughs) Delicious. We just won't drive two hours for it anymore. We will. (laughs) No, we'll make it. We'll just make it. Because the thing we forgot to tell you is my grandma is the one who taught Aunt Betty how to make frosting. So like... (laughs) I mean, full circle here. Like, I could have, I could have solved it all within thirty-five minutes. But <laughs> I mean, I tasted one of those cupcakes. I'm pretty sure it was just like a standard. It was a basic. Rock. It wasn't even like the seven-minute meringue. Like, it wasn't even an Italian meringue buttercream. It was the basic one. It's the f- first one you learn. Yep. Mm-hmm. That sounds yummy. Now I want cupcakes with frosting. <laughs> well, maybe we should celebrate. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our first podcast. Um, we are going to like keep this going on a weekly basis, I think, is what we agreed. And then um, send us your ideas. I have been jotting down notes every time Jess said, and this is what we'll talk about another time. So we have a long list of ideas from one extrovert and one introvert. We'll hear you out. We're the yin to your yang, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks guys. Bye.